You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 180. Um, my name is Marvin Yu, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have the once in future professional Asian American just you and our most professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey guys. Wow, Marvin. New intro. Well, <laughs> We always, I always start off introducing you, Jess, and then it's like a whole five minutes before. Sorry, I'm very unhinged. Yeah, this is like, I don't, I haven't been back to therapy. I probably should, but this is like my therapy and I just need to like word vomit. (laughs) So this way we get our intros out of the way so I don't have to freak out about, oh crap, I don't, we didn't introduce Han yet and we're like five minutes into the show. That's all right. No. I'm used to it. Are you are you a middle? I mean, I know you're a twin, but are you technically the middle child twin? Nah, I'm the youngest and I'm a girl. So, you know, I'm used to being overlooked. Yeah, I'm used to both being of your babies crapped you're on. Older sibling here. Although to be fair, yeah. I think Jess, you're like the functional older sibling in your in your so, relationship. There was a few good years I was a functional older sibling and I um Yes, I mean I they, was too. they do say the younger <laughs> siblings are like just significantly more insane and loud right i don't have younger sister so i wouldn't know i have a younger brother yeah. which is a whole different relationship and like archetype i'm more outspoken but i'm not actually louder no one's loud in my family i don't know birth order is a little messed up in my family um <laughs> the twinness the the gender the whatever yeah that's true it's all, you always have to yeah. take that into account too especially if like you have like either like you know, older sister, younger brother type of situation or the other way around. Um, Yeah. And mixed gender twins definitely have different stuff. (laughs) For sure. 180. Wow. We are like 20. We're half a year away from our 200th episode. And since we never really celebrated our 100th or our 150th, I feel like we should maybe think about doing something this year. Okay. Whatever you say, boss man, this is (laughs) you, you dragged us into this like four years ago and uh, here we are. Still don't let me get off the train. Basically, as long as the pandemic rages on, you know, (laughs) Uh, forever. (sighs) Well, we made it, guys, to the end of the first month of 2024. Oh, man. Only 11 more months to go, Um, 10 more months until we find out who our next president's going to be. Whether it's going to be no one old man oh, or the no. other, this is going to be bad. Well, we do have a primary in California, like next week, which I just learned about. Yeah, there's a lot of people running for senator that I have no idea who they are. Yes, because we do have an open spot. They're all kind of bad, so you know it's you know everyone's just, just don't get too sh- never get too cozy with the uh, with with the elected officials. None of them are yeah. that great. Yeah, I, I feel like. We have this habit of trying to like make these people our heroes, but of all the people to make your heroes, I feel like elected officials are probably the worst because everyone's compromised. Oh, yeah. Once you're in the system, you're compromised. And I truly believe my take is that you should not be friends with your elected officials. I think you should always be mad at them (laughs) or like disappointed or like you should always be an Asian mom to your elected official like they can be even doing great and you should still be like okay but you can do better what now you can, why didn't you do that's better true. like that should be the that's new the slogan. vibe we should be Tiger giving mom them. your elected officials 
A hundred percent. Like they work for us and we should always remember that. And yet, you know, some of them, they don't, they don't be acting like they work for us. We should put that on a t-shirt. That'll be our first merch idea. Tiger mom, you're a like, you're, <laughs> it's a, li- you're it's a little wordy. We need to think of a better, like a more efficient slogan, but somewhere. Mm. Maybe that can be our like civic engagement strategy going forward. Like, <laughs> oh, all the, um, instead of passing on the trauma, your immigrant parents, you know, gave you to like a family member or another loved ones, like put it towards your elected officials. That's true. Huh. Anyways, with it being the end of January, that means it's time for the first Do We Want This of 2024, um, where we go over the latest Asian American um, entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Um, but before we get to that, um, let's find out what pop culture is bringing us through this week. Uh, Jess, what's been popping? So I went to go see in theaters Mean Girls, the musical, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is correct. It is a movie adaptation of a stage musical of a movie mm-hmm. of a book, a self-help nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Was it good? I enjoyed it. <laughs> Did I enjoy it? <laughs> Honestly, um, I've seen the stage musical. I love musicals i do think it was a better take on like a movie musical than some of the ones we've been seeing lately but i don't know i think i think something about the me all the things that should have made it like more than the sum of its parts like i think ended up at least from my perspective harming it a little bit like i I, or and i think maybe like the biggest thing is like there just hasn't been enough time or or enough of a different take on the story, considering that Mean Girls, the original, is still like very easily accessible and still very, very iconic, at least to certain circles. My millennial is showing, I know. But yeah, I, I think they, they tried to do like re- beat for beat create re- recreations of some of those moments in the musical movie. And I was just like, mm, don't know if it hit the it's- same. It's actually those moments I think that are least successful. I think it's when they do other stuff that it's the most. Um, and hot take, even though I know she's talented, didn't love Renee Rapp in you know as the head mean girl. So yeah, I think I think some of the casting was a little weird, but or maybe some <laughs> of the direction, some of the lip singing was just terrible. But I will say the one really really great part was Avantika, who mm-hmm. just so absolutely great. killed it. I think and- Ali was great too. Ollie was great. But I think I think the songs generally are not like just the most interesting in like the musical theater canon. Mm-hmm. Um some little some teen person is probably like shouting at me cuz you know it's all very like depending on when you come in age of it and a lot of high schools do it's, it's, it is a great like show for teens cuz I do think like nothing is too like out of pocket. We're not asking like young people to like try to pretend to be like revolutionaries in France. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or like opera, you know. So, so I mean, time and place. I just was like, oh, this is. I feel very old, <laughs> and I feel like, oh, maybe this is not for me, which is fine. And I know these folks are talented, but there's something not quite connecting. But that being said, it is living rent free in my head because I wake up every morning and I just seen that like Regina George like. Mm-hmm. Reprise like my name is Regina George. Yeah, that's just playing in my head. But 
also they need they they needed to Aaron Samuels didn't even get a song in this one. And the guy was a little blip, but he's tall. And as we learned, sometimes that's enough. <laughs> He's um, the guy from Somewhere I Turn Pretty, so there are a lot of people who oh, like him. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. See, I feel very old, just just missing all these pop culture moments. Yeah. Um, but it's not that I found normal Aaron Samuels, like OG Aaron Samuels, that attractive. Not my type, but like you know, it's a musical, and you're not even gonna give the dude like a song. But but being that said, I do think it's a it's, it's this weird paradox where it's like, I don't know if I enjoyed it that much, but I do think it was like a better movie adaptation, musical movie adaptation than a lot of things I've seen. So who knows? You know, if you have A-list and you got some time to kill, it's under two hours. That was a great time. Go watch it. Yeah, Avantika's had- great. <laughs> yeah, Avantika's great. I really liked Ali too. And um, and J- Jekyll? is uh the other the other nerd um oh damien yes they were all great but but again like if you're gonna do mean girls and hinge it on the plastics right and like what a force you know they were um especially because this is the role that made ashley park famous she played the original gretchen and the gretchen song on stage is like really funny slash sad like it works really well and you know there were some some weird choices that I don't think translated well onto screen. Um, but <laughs> I do think the end song with Renee Rapp and Megan the Stallion was fantastic. She performed it on SNL, sent a bunch of bisexuals into a tizzy. Uh, we love it. I didn't see the musical. And so I think that helped me enjoy it more because mm-hmm. everything was somewhat new to me, except for knowing the plot. Um, and I did actually cover the original movie when it came out. Like I did oh. interviews. So that tells you how wow. old I am. I wow. have the original swag tank top. Oh um, that I Oh my God. That is like archival historic. Yeah. I you can must sort of, save it. I can sort of still fit it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So that actually has a, a place in my heart because that was my first interview with Rachel McAdams. And um I did an interviewer later for um, the Family Stone, um, not the Notebook, but um, um, yeah. And so I just remember a lot of like some of the questions. Like I probably even have the micro cassette from that interview. Wow! And and asking her like, how did you get into character? And she was telling about her playlist and stuff like that. So that historic. Was, so that you know, of course, that I feel like that movie is just like pretty excellent, despite the problems with it. Yes. Um, for the time, it was pretty damn good. Uh, I had zero expectations for this one, and maybe that's why I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a good time. Anyway, sad that you didn't, but um, now I actually wish I saw the Broadway version to see Ashley Park. It was it was pretty fun. I, I think the words I used when I walked out of it with my friend was, it doesn't have a right to be that fun. <laughs> like Mean Girls the musical. Um, and I think we saw with mostly the original cast. And even then, the uh, the the Karen role was great. That song, mm-hmm. Sexy, is mm-hmm. just hilarious. Um, and she I do like it. the way they, again, Avantika, amazing. Great Karen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope we get to see more of her. Um, and yeah. Bahan, <laughs> what is popping with you? Uh, so totally in a different direction. 
I um, started True Detective. There's three episodes out now of this fourth season. Um, I've only watched two of them, so I really can't spoil it for you. But um, pretty much everything that people have been saying is pretty correct. It's really good. It is uh, this time it is created by a woman starring two women. Um, It's set in Alaska. One of the women is um, indigenous. There's a huge indigenous plot line. Jodie Foster plays like a cop. You know, she's like the chief or well, not technically the chief, but she's running the operations when um, a whole bunch of uh, scientists, researchers disappear from their um, research center. And so she has to investigate it. And somehow it gets connected to an old cold case um, in which a uh, an indigenous woman um, was killed. And um, the other cop, Callie Reese, she was on that original case. So they are having to work together. There are definitely some tensions. Um, and what I like about it is that definitely Jodie Foster's character um danvers sometimes says some shit that like is not cool um you know with her sort of like being a white woman in authority but at the same time she gets as good you know as she gives out and so i feel like in some ways i like the fact that they show those tensions but also how that neither woman backs down and um and jodie foster's character is also the stepmom somehow has a daughter who is uh, indigenous. Um, Mm -hmm. I think her previous lover or, you know, is the father of that child, but I don't know if she's, I think she might be a stepmother. But anyway, um, so there's a lot of interesting things going on. Um, Definitely the uh, sort of, there's some lore going on. There's a lot about culture. Um, It's really creepy. There are, because it's true detective, there are definitely some creepy things to look at i don't want to give anything away (laughs) um but if you know true detective at all yes there's definitely going to be some hinky stuff going on um and i i just like a lot of the things that they're trying out one of the things that um is not too much of a spoiler is basically like each woman is very upfront about how they go and get sex from men um and they pretty much are the ones calling the shots it's very much a hey i need this to blow off steam you know, sort of situation. Um, and it's interesting because if anyone remembers the first season of True Detective and how the sex was treated there, um, it was really gross. So um, it was, it's just basically turning it on its head. So yeah, uh, so far so good. It's, it's probably one of the best seasons since season one. I seem to remember uh, blanking out on two and three. <laughs> um, don't need to watch it. I love Marshall Ali, but like, Sorry, season three, nah. Um, so yeah, I if anyone wants to, you know, watch season one in order to watch season four, you don't have to, but there are connections, let's just say. Um, so, and you know, I, I'm not mad at that because it really was the first season that kind of set the tone and it um, it may it may make you enjoy it more. I seem to remember just enough that I'm like, hey, I know that name. Um, so... I, I'm like now looking up stories where people did all the work for me and <laughs> telling me how they're, you know, everything's connected. Um, but a great cast also. Um, Christopher Eccleston, who you might remember as 
uh, one of the doctors. Yes. Um, Number nine. <laughs> yes. Um, Fiona Shaw, who has been in a bunch of British things, and, but she plays American here. Um, so, yeah, just really, really good. I put it on while I was doing some work and I ended up kept missing the work because I was watching the TV screen. Um but oh, I and it's recommend- like only like five episodes, six episodes, and weekly. This is great. Maybe I should start True Detective. Yeah, it might be more than six, might be eight, but yeah, it's only three out right now. Four is coming out on Sunday, so you you can catch up fairly easily. And um, yeah, it's kind of it's it's just creepy enough. Uh, the the main title sequence is kind of interesting looking, but. Um, it also um, has Billie Eilish's Bury a Friend, <laughs> which is great. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if I should do one of my stories about the main titles again, because I enjoy that. But of course, I'm going into press tour. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that to myself. Um, but yeah, I feel like the Arctic is like having a moment. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. everyone wants to go to like Antarctica. And, uh, you know, this is like set in opposite pole. But, you know, like, like lots of. I get lots of TikToks about people doing like research in cold places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Arctic is hot right now. Yeah, uh, it, they use the environment very well. I think it's it is not accidental. It is part of the story and um, very organic. So yeah, uh, highly recommend it. Hopefully, it it ends well, well, or you know, <laughs> in a way that makes sense to me. Um, but yeah. I haven't been like excited for this in a while. So good, good HBO series. Yeah. I remember watching the first season and really liking it. And then I did mm-hmm. not, I watched the second, the, was the second season, the one with um, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell? Yeah. yeah. I watched that one and it was interesting, but not as like, yeah, not, not as, as tight. Yeah. Yeah. I missed the third one. And so um, I've been hearing good things about this one though, this latest. Season, yeah. So, Oh, I definitely think you should just jump into it then. It, you don't need to watch three. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are meant to be kind of like standalone. Yeah. yeah. Noir, st- modern noir stories, which are stuff that like I'm really interested. Like the second season, I, I liked it because it was like, you know, about freeways. Right. Because that's how like <laughs> a <laughs> You're good so LA LA. noir You're story like, should be. It was, it was said in LA. Freeways. So, you know, Did it makes you- sense. Yeah. Did you read that book, Traffic? Well, <laughs> I, I like that book. So I didn't know that was your thing, too. Um, but yeah. yes. Um, but anyway, so um, that was mine. What about you, Marvin? What's popping with you? All right. Speaking of noir storytelling, and it's not that far of a reach, though. So I've been playing a brand new game. Um, I was actually going to try to hold out until it went on sale. And then I started reading about people playing over the weekend. I was like, Screw it. I'm just going to buy it. It's um, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which is the eighth game in the Like a Dragon series. And it's called Infinite Wealth because the infinity sign is an eight turned sideways. Hey. So that's the kind of cutting cheek stuff that this series is known for. <laughs> so the Like a Dragon series is a long running um, franchise developed by Sega, which was actually known as a different name in the States um, up until recently. It was the Yakuza series um, that's been going on since like the late 2000s. It is a series of um, Japanese RPGs that's set in the modern world and are like open world sandbox games. And it's actually pretty cool that they changed the name back to the original Japanese title, Like a Dragon, because the Yakuza name never really made sense because you never really play as a Yakuza in, in the game. At best, you play as a former Yakuza. And so the Like a Dragon name actually like fits a lot better because your main character is like a really strong, honorable dude and kind of like a dragon. So um mm-hmm. Man, 
how do how to start talking about this game because it, it is a lot. Um, I'm wondering, Jess, are you are you familiar with the Yakuza series at all? No, I haven't, but I might check it out. It looks it sounds sounds fun. Yeah, so um, in Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, you play once again as Ichiban Kasuga, who took over as the main character in the previous game, which represented like a tone shift for the series and went from being an action RPG to a more uh, traditional turn-based RPG, but still set in the modern world. Um, the Like a Dragon series, um, I said open world, but it's really more of like a localized open world. Um, the game takes place in certain districts of cities. So the most iconic um, setting in the game is Kamurocho, which is a true-to-life but fictionalized version of Kakukicho, which is the you know entertainment district of Tokyo, where apparently the real life that Yakuza have a lot of like operations interests. Yes, at. I have personal experience with the with the Yakuza being <laughs> on the run on the DL. Yeah, so early in the game, um, your main character is trying to live a um, live a normal life as a civilian. He's working as a contractor at a temp agency, and um, you know a big thing that happened in the last game was a major Yakuza organization dissolved, and so there's now like ten thousand uh, former gangsters out in the streets and so ichiban uh, puts on himself to try to place as many of these people as possible in legitimate jobs to give them a future that's you know outside of the underworld but as a result he actually gets canceled by a vtuber early in the game and loses his job and becomes you know unemployed and almost homeless uh, once again there's so many layers to this (laughs) yeah so that's kind of the um the rpg sequel like reason for you to start once again at level one <laughs> at the beginning of the game but that's that's all just like kind of table setting so um the true plot and kind of hook of this iteration of infinite wealth is um you discover that each month's mother is still alive um, he's never met her before because he was uh, quote unquote abandoned as a child but you learn from the last game there's a lot more to that story um and so he sets off to meet her um by going to Hawaii. So the Like a Dragon series, like I mentioned, takes place in like fictional analogs to real life locations. So um, the first game featured Kamurocho, which is Kabukicho, Tokyo. Um, the second game featured uh, Sultanbury, which is a fictional version of Doltenbury in Osaka. The third game introduced Okinawa. Um, and so in this game, the eighth game in the series, finds you mainly exploring the streets of uh, Waikiki. Yay, Hawaii. In, in <laughs> so am I, can, I go, can I go into an ABC store <laughs> you and start can. some shit? Um, the ABC stores are present in this game wow. as item shops. Uh, much like in the original game, <clears throat> Don Quixote's are the, one of the item shops you can actually go into and to buy your supplies. Oh my god, I would just spend all my time just shopping at Don Quixote in the game. Yeah. Like I do would do in real life. <laughs> So the Like a Dragon series has always been, it's been an interesting mix of gameplay and story. And, you know, the stories have always revolved around like very noir style stories, right? Like the first game was about Yakuza members trying to get into redevelopment of a major skyscraper in in the district. The third game was about um, land rights and military bases in Okinawa. And so the game has always been in touch with, you know, social issues and um, championing the um, the oppressed and marginalized people of its communities. And so um, this game actually has a lot of themes revolving around um, Hawaii's homeless problems, its cost of living, um, and kind of the, the impact of the history of colonialism. <laughs> Oh, good for them, but also it's like, ooh, maybe the call's <laughs> coming from inside the house, Japan. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. Yeah, so um, 
I'm about a third of the way through the game right now, but so far, much of the story has been. So in in arriving in Hawaii, Ichiban finds that his mother has gone missing and that there are other people also looking for her, including rival criminal gangs and also like government operatives. And so he sets off to find his mother who's wanted by all these, you know, shady individuals. And already, like playing the game, I was thinking, man, this is this is already a better um son looks to protect mother from gang story than the brother's son. Marvin, was. you gotta let it go. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> let it go. <laughs> yeah. So um, the game builds on the turn-based RPG combat um, system that the last game pioneered. Um, before then, it was has been a an action RPG brawler type of game. And I gotta say, it's a pretty solid JRPG. Um, there's enough like complexity in the battle so that you can be strategic, um, but it's also not too complex that you know beginners won't be able to figure things out. But like I mentioned, the hard-boiled crime story is only one part of the Like a Dragon experience. Um, the other half is just video game shenanigans. And the Like a Dragon series has always been chock full of side quests and side diversions, each of which could be like its own video game in and of itself. Like the last game had a whole kart racing game with its own story about rival racing gangs um, riding go-karts around Yokohama. And I think I did talk about the last game on this podcast before about how I got caught up playing hours of the management sim where you take a humble senbei cracker store, build it into a conglomerate holding company. And so um, the game has always had like a really cool management sim diversion. Uh, early games had you uh, managing host clubs and real estate companies. And this game is no different. In fact, this game, the management sim diversion is probably the most involved it's ever been. Uh, so basically what happens is your character uh, finds himself on a deserted island that used to be a island resort and is recruited to help bring it back to its glory days. And so in order to do so, um, you're tasked with um, rebuilding the island by going around chopping wood, uh, mining for stone, picking up trash and crafting buildings and decorations um, to build up this island uh, in order to attract guests to come. And when they come, give them gifts so that they have a good time. And so if this sounds familiar, uh, it's because it's essentially a whole ass like Animal Crossing game within this. Can I play just that part without the crime part? (laughs) Well, I mean, it takes about um, a while to get to it. I think you have to play about a third of the game, so about like... 68 hours uh, before unlocking uh, the side content. Okay. So I had to do enough crime to be able to play Animal Crossing. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't really do a lot of crime in this game. Um, like I said, you don't actually play a Yakuza member. Um, if anything, you play as kind of like a protector of people in the night. You're, you're mostly beating up other gangsters or drunkards that are um, kind of picking a fight with you and, and others. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people have been upon reaching the side quest, have been playing nothing but this side quest. Like I myself have put in several hours into building up this island, completely neglecting the main story for like the last, for for at this point, maybe half the plates, half of my playtime with this game. Uh, but yeah, having a great time. Uh, I don't know how good of a job I did selling this game to y'all, but um, if you've enjoyed Like a Dragon Games in the past, uh, this is definitely uh, more of that and probably at its best in terms of um, the the design of this, the side activities. 
I didn't even talk about like the whole Pokemon side quest as well. So um, definitely a lot to to do in this game. Uh, it'll keep you busy for hours and hours and hours. I probably will be playing this game for the next foreseeable month or two. And like I mentioned, hidden underneath all that video game BS is an actually compelling story about family loyalty and kind of the underlying social issues of Hawaii. So yeah, um, that's what's popping for this week. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going over the latest Asian American entertainment news in our monthly news roundup. Do we want this? Stick around. Hi, I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories. And it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. Welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we are talking about the latest Asian American entertainment news um, in our monthly news segment. Do we want this? Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. Jess, what's our first story for 2024? Oh, boy, is it a story. <laughs> Universal and Jordan Peele um, are boarding Dev Patel's Monkey Man for an April release. Get this in fucking theaters. All right, it was originally going to be on Netflix. Mr. Peel saw that and was like, no, no, no. This deserves the full fanfare treatment. So using his powers, like, talk about fucking allyship. Mm -hmm. Got Universal is got Universal to give it a, uh, a theatrical release. So Monkey Man is Dev Patel's directorial debut. It is, he is also starring in it. Um, and it is a action thriller uh, inspired by the legend of Hunaman, an icon embodying strength and courage. I am reading from the Hollywood Reporter article, <laughs> um, but basically, I'm just gonna give you. I'm just gonna give you hot words. Anonymous young man, underground fight club, fighting for cash, vengeance, murdered mother, um, 
helping the poor and powerless. Do we want this? Yeah, I mean, you gotta watch the trailer. Just watch the trailer, and then you tell you you tell me at, that you don't want this, and you'd be lying. Um, because Dev Patel basically pulling some John Wick vibes, um, giving you action with a little bit of comedy, and he's also directing. Uh, so happy. This is definitely. I, I'm one of those people who you know, if you feel safe, go and watch it in theater. But I'm so excited to see this in a theater. And like it has to be like pretty good, right? Because Jordan Peele wouldn't have like like the movie was made. It wasn't like, you know, like 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 he saw it and was like, this dude's got talent as a director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like let's let's bump it up to like a bigger deal. So like there's already like a level of vetting in it that hopefully bodes well. And I I don't know if anyone is as loved universally right now. Across ages, across races, has Mr. Dev Patel, who we don't get to see a I lot. I mean, it's of. Dev Patel and we... Keanu Reeves, right? These are the two, our two gems in in our communities <laughs> thus far. Yes, and and he's just like so. Uh, I mean, I I don't know if you watched Skins or mm-hmm. if you even just were like on the Slumdog Millionaire train, but mm-hmm. to just like think of like the little boy who was like doing that and now you're just like oh oh my mr patel my goodness (laughs) so attractive so talented um has had a really has like picked has made for himself like a very interesting career that like just makes him an interesting artist didn't go like the traditional route was you know we were i think we're fortunate that he didn't get like snapped up by marvel and put into like a superhero hole for like 10 or 15 years um, yeah. And now, now I think it is the time. I think it is the age of Patel. Look, for me, he is still the hottest David Copperfield <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, I know Marvin and I loved the Green, Green Knight, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very <laughs> <That's> two of you. <laughs> yeah. So for me, this era of Dev Patel being hot and with long hair is still just continuing. This, this is his next, you know, um, form. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I feel like April, we're we're here. We're going to be, we're going to talk yeah, about Yeah, I do it. hope that this, um, I mean, if he wants to, um, this will be the opening of the Death Patel action star era. Because um, I think he definitely, like, I don't think we've seen that, right? Like, even the Green Knight, he's not really doing, like, fighting. Um, he's been in action movies before, but not as, like, the mm. action guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, he's, I also... I, I do hope they give us um, some yearning. Like, I don't think anyone yearns as well on screen as Dev Patel. Yeah, uh, like, just just top-notch yearning. And, and not even a lesbian, but top-notch yearning. So uh, I hope we still get some of that. And but and that's the thing. Like, he's a good enough actor where we know, like, he can bring some, like, you know, something else that rather than just fighting. But I'm also very excited just for the underground fight club shit, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, the the trailer itself is a journey, and for me, I was just like, I was like, okay, I, I'm down for this. When I saw who was like going to be in it and who was backing it, and then but then I watched the trailer and I was like, holy shit, um, yeah. that's good stuff. All right, looking forward to that. Um, Han, tell us about the Oscar noms. <laughs> uh, this is ruling my life. I I don't like it. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, you just let out the most like 
defeated side. <laughs> Award season is just so long. And, you know, I think the Oscars, the nominations were somewhat contentious this this past whatever. Was it a couple weeks ago? Only only just it felt feels like forever. Um, and, you know, there was a bit there was a big controversy about it. And but it also took away, I think, the focus from the people who were um, who did get some really good nominations and so i am actually happy to talk about a few of those um just going to focus on the asian ones although i will note that lily gladstone got her nomination for killers of the flower moon and so that's um historic but um on to the asians (laughs) uh i'm going to start with some of the um the smaller categories first and then build up but there's actually a few um live action short films red white and blue by Nazrin Chowdhury, British screenwriter. Um, and let's see, we have, you can p- correct me on these uh, pronunciations, Nai Nai and Waipo. 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 Um, so uh, Taiwanese-American filmmaker Sean Wong's um, entry, which is another, it's a documentary short film. Um, remember that name. Uh, <laughs> there's Island in Between, another best documentary short film, um, Tensions in Taiwan. So we kind of see, the, I, I, you know, I'm actually excited for all this Taiwan stuff because I am very interested in that. Um, okay, moving on. There is uh, another documentary short film, To Kill a Tiger. Um, and okay, now to a few more that you might recognize. Um, best animated film nominated is The Boy and the Heron. This is Miyazaki's uh, latest and last film, allegedly. Uh, last, <laughs> air quotes. Yes. But you know what? Every film is his last. So, you know, um, take that as you will. Um, nominated for vis- visual effects, alas only, but is Takahashi Yamazaki's Godzilla Minus One, which I've talked about. Um, best international feature film is a Japanese film, but directed by a German guy who you might recognize his name. It's Wim Wenders. Uh, oh. It's called Perfect Days. It looks fantastic. And when the name Wim Wenders came up on the screen while I was watching the trailer, I was like, what? Like, what Twilight Zone am I in? Wim Wenders, though, is a very good director. Very famous. So the fact that he decided to do a Japanese film that is a Japanese entry is intriguing to me. Um, so that's Perfect Days. Um, hold on. We're moving into the one that is the semi-biggest one, um, which is Past Lives. Um, it Celine Song got a nomination for Best Original Screenplay and Best Picture. Hooray! Um, so just in general, do we want this or do we want more? It's kind of a mix, right? It's like, yes, we want, especially as Asian Americans, right? We want our films to be uh, recognized, um, I know there's some mixed feelings about just who did or did not get snubbed. I think it's an interesting year because I actually think it's more competitive than some years. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's some like, like legacy narratives in play here. Like, oh, they need to be, they need to be like rewarded for their years of hard work. There's a few like, oh, like this doesn't come around. I mean, not to say none of these performances are deserved, but like, you mm-hmm. know, there's some, like, you know, we knew that Lily Gladstone was going to get and deserves a nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that Oppenheimer in its like, 
big biopic of a great white man mm-hmm. is going to get its nominations. And with that is, you know, the, the Robert Downey Jr. nomination is going to happen. Um, which again, mm-hmm. like not even saying, but like the rel- like if he deserves an art, just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a PR sport. The Oscars are a PR sport. And, you know, so I actually think it's a pretty competitive year. I think the more interesting, um, con- one of the more interesting questions or conversations that, that this year highlights is that current trend, that trend of like ethnic movies or movies about like BIPOC people or characters, like maybe the film gets nominated, but the people who are in the film don't get nominated, which happened with Parasite and Slumdog Millionaire and, you know, uh, every Ang Lee movie ever made. <laughs> so, you know, like Past Lives, the writer, director, Celine Song got some love and, you know, as, you know, the producer, you know, her movie got love, but like, you know, Greta Lee's left out of the conversation. Like, there was like a Charles Melton kind of push at some point, but like May, December is generally, what generally didn't get many nominations. So it's like, oh, it's always interesting to see like who actually makes it. But um, I do think it's like with with the exception, there's no like Andrea Riseborough. Like, what the hell is that? Maybe Nyad. <laughs> I'm gonna be real. Nyad, maybe I was like, weird. but like Nyad is from a movie from two Asian directors, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, it is always interesting to see who gets highlighted in this conversation. Um, and you know, it is getting more international, but it's not maybe not necessarily like more Asian. Yeah, if that and makes sense. I mean. I don't know if we can see this as like a because a reaction to last year's very Asian Oscars. But at the same time, like it is kind of a whiplash to like have a lot of representation, all of a sudden almost none in the acting categories. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, we also have to not, you know, like there's, uh, you know, Sterling K. Brown and mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright and Lily Gladstone are all nominated this They're- year. There were people of color nominated in every acting category. And for me, I think that's a win in general. Yes. Um, I, if, you know, just mentioned the two Asians, which we, we would have perhaps expected or liked to have been included, which are Greta Lee and Charles Melton. Um, and honestly, I think Charles Melton was all right. <laughs> so like May, December is just not that good of a movie. I don't think. So I think the fact that he got attention earlier on, I'm glad for him, but I was like, eh, uh, Greta Lee, I do think she did incredibly well. It's just, uh, I think as Jess pointed out an incredibly competitive year. So I don't think that her getting snubbed means that she didn't do well, but it's a bummer because since she's been such a staple in so many projects, like people turn to her to get to be the, you know, quirky or really like colorful person. And here she like, you know, anchored a movie by be- playing like a normal woman, you know, and it was just like and she was still mesmerizing. Um, and for me, I felt like she did some of the best acting of her career. So I'm a little bit bummed because I also like past lives. And but yeah, there was no way it was going to be the crowd pleaser that everything everywhere all at once was. And so for me, I'm like not terribly surprised or super disappointed um, because that was, this was probably the one movie I thought that would get more nominations. I also personally would have liked Godzilla minus one to get more, but I do understand that um, international movies are harder sells. They usually like to do the, you know, the uh, Holocaust narrative, that type of stuff. So, um, 
yeah, if it even wins this. And also Godzilla minus one, I think, is the third most highest grossing, grossing foreign film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like ever in the US. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. So you know what? Take that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean so I mean past lives is kind of the polar opposite of everything ever where right like one is maximal exactly. and one is minimal yeah and but both were kind of i mm-hmm. felt like both were great feats of directing so i think this the snub for me actually comes in the mm-hmm. directing category i feel like Celine. it's well directing is the tough is a, always a really tough category you know you're going from 10 best pictures to mm-hmm. five directors yeah. um a lot of times it's like, and, and again, this is like a pretty intense year with a lot of heavy hitters and we are still in the, there can only be one woman. <laughs> yeah. Era yeah. of best director. Yeah. I absolutely agree that I think she did a phenomenal job directing because, you know, coming from theater and then doing this as her first feature, I'm just almost like, this is unfair. Why are you so talented? Um, but it is. Yeah. Five best picture, you know, nominees, not I mean 10 best picture nominees. And then if you only pick five of them for best director, they usually pick the people who do the most directing so they can see most of it on the screen. So subtlety is not something that like gets the nominations in this category, you know, necessarily. So they go for a more dramatic, bigger, um, uh, more emotional. And, you know, past lives was a somewhat, subtle in some ways emotional movie um not a you know atomic bomb <laughs> sort of literal yes yeah so it's it's unfortunate it's kind of like best editing category often goes for the one that has the most uh visual Cuts. editing that people see yeah so if it's like very fast paced that will get editing even though editing doesn't always mean I'm, that so i mean i mean fucking fucking bohemian rhapsody got editing <laughs> and i i know i know jack shit about editing and i'll and i was like what the fuck yeah like why um, but you know i think celine's long she does get her screen credit and her mm-hmm. best picture and then honestly i think in the like grand scheme of things she kind of just ends up winning because she was in that she was still in the conversation in other ways. Like she yeah. was invited to the Hollywood. She got to sit like a table with like all these other dudes, mm-hmm. like twice her age and, mm-hmm. you know, hold her own. And I think like, she's on like the favorite movie list of all these like really incredible directors who were like, like, this is the best thing I've seen like all year, like yeah. Celine song, um, you know? So I think like, she'll be fine. First movie kind of incredible. And I think that like, hopefully like the, the checkbooks are open for her going yes. forward. You know? Yeah. I think it, she did her job and, and got enough attention. It would have been great if she won um, or wins any of these, but, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, awards are always a mixed bag. Uh, awards, I think, in general, in my mind, don't mean anything, but I do know that they, in the real world, do mean something for people's careers. So, um, yeah, I, you can you can take and leave whatever you can. So. Um, Marvin, what news do you have? All right. So we talked about um, how, how we're glad that um, Dev Patel didn't get locked up by the MCU um, earlier in his career. <laughs> uh, my new story is uh, another young Desi actor might be getting locked up soon. Um, Geraldine mm-hmm. Viswanathan 
is set to join the upcoming MCU film Thunderbolts, um, replacing Ayo Edebiri, who was departing the project due to scheduling after production was delayed during the Aww. double strikes last year. Um, this project recently also lost another member, um, Steven Yun, who also left for similar reasons, right? Yeah. Um, I think he's being replaced by a white dude. Yes. Um, Louis Pullman, <laughs> Bob, Bill Pullman's son, oh, Bob yeah. from Maverick. Okay. Um, so... Viswanathan joins an ensemble um, cast. Um, basically, the Thunderbolts is the, I guess, you know, to be reductive, the bad guys Avengers. Right? It's, it's the suicide squad. It's teen suicide squad, right? MCU's version. <laughs> um, except they're not, they're not yes. criminals. They're kind of just like anti-heroes. Like, but they're, they're not criminals like the suicide squad. <sighs> um, so, so far, the, um, the team consists of Florence Pugh as Black Widow. Part two, Sebastian Stan mm-hmm. as a Winter Soldier, David Harbour as a Red Guardian, mm-hmm. and then they're being led by um, Julie Louis Dreyfus as the government lady that's been in all the MCU shows. Um, and, <laughs> right, who's in a suit right. who I can never and remember. The, the name. team is being led by um, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son, right? Or, oh yeah, no. yeah, I like Kurt him. Russell and Goldie yeah. Hansen. He's good as yeah. U.S. Agent John Walker, the um, definitely a cop Captain America from the mm-hmm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. Um, so yeah. Do we want this? Um, I mean, I uh. like Geraldine Viswanathan. I I'm kind of still tired of MCU. I did like the Marvels, um, but you know, if she, maybe by the time it comes out, I'll be more excited. I mean, yeah, it's set to come out in yeah. July 2025. Um, I do like. I was excited or interested to see what what character Steven Yun would be playing, but I guess much like our thoughts with Patel, kind of dodged a bullet there, right? Yeah, and I love Io, so like she would have made me like check it out, and I I probably will just for Geraldine too, um. But yeah, I I think I will, I'm tentative. We shall see. Like I'm not against it necessarily, but I think I mean, get, they lost some yeah. of the people I like. <laughs> get your bag, Geraldine. You know, buy that house <laughs> in the Hollywood Hills. I will never ever. Um, you know, rag someone for getting that Marvel money, but my God, like, didn't didn't like watching Mark Ruffalo and poor things just kind of highlight the exact issue we're talking about? Like, we got ten years of, and you know, those were like kind of peak Marvel, and those were very enjoyable for mm-hmm. the most part, and and still, it just kind of like flattens your career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think if you are a mid actor, it's it's the perfect place for you. Yeah, you, you know? can only like go up, right? <laughs> yeah, like I like you know, I'm not trying to like. Maybe I am ragging on them. But, like I, I love like I think they're fun people. Like Chris Evans and you know Chris, the other what's the other Chris? Chris Hemsworth. Like they're fine, they're charming, but like they're not gonna be like. I don't know if they would have been making the the most interesting choices. They weren't in the Marvel film, but you know, like Robert Downey Jr. was in like the Marvel machine for like 10, 15, 20 years. And and Mark Scarlett Johansson, who I actually really like, just like as an actor, like got mm-hmm. was in was in that machine. And then you like, you know, you blink and then you're like, oh, all these movies you didn't make. So like Jer- like I really said that Florence Pugh <laughs> is stuck in this machine. Well, she uh, also like- did <laughs> Oppenheimer well, not in a great role, but still. And she's done a yeah, lot of I other mean, stuff. Yeah, she like popped in, took off her clothes, and like filmed for like three days. So yeah. you know, um, but you know, like like so. I mean, I think Geraldine has a really 
was ha- is having a really fun career choice wise like mm-hmm. the, her new movie with Mark Quayley uh, directed by Ethan Cohen it looks really fun oh, yeah. quirky uh, she's really funny and her and Daniel Radcliffe great <laughs> chemistry oh my yeah. god miracle workers so I think they good. need to take that and make that into like a rom-com somewhere mm-hmm. uh, like like a movie together and like she's just really talented and I'm just a little like you know I'm glad I Io like is out of that Steve Young's out of that but <laughs> yeah. it's just like you're gonna yeah. not only be in this like Marvel thing that kind of flattens you but also like you're gonna have to share with like eight other people who also have like various degrees of like star level you know what i mean like i'm just like is this the best use of your time but you don't get the money also take the money and get out maybe Mm -hmm. depending on what characters he plays and i would say if you're going to get anyone to replace io itabiri Geraldine Viswanathan is probably a good choice because they they do have similar energies, right? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, again, I I it's, there's nothing on her talent. It's more like I think you might be too good for Marvel <laughs> yeah. at this point. Like maybe I think everyone's a lot of these folks are too good for Marvel. Like you deserve better and you deserve more interesting things to do, and we deserve to see you more interesting things. But you know, if she it comes out, will I watch it? Yeah, probably. All right. Well. I guess we'll wait and see what type of role this turns out to be. But I guess congratulations, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, all right, Jess, what's our next story? All right, Joel Kim Booster has written a new movie again and again, 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 which has been snapped up by Searchlight Pictures. Um, Eyed as a potential starring vehicle for Booster, the film centers on Gus who is a man of honor for his close friend Maggie's extravagant wedding weekend at a nap of a winery. He is tasked with making sure the whole event goes off without a hitch. But when Gus's wildly charismatic but emotionally unstable boyfriend Hal shows up unexpectedly, chaos ensues and threatens to derail the wedding as well as their relationship. Do we want this? Um, Joachim Booster can do no wrong in my eyes <laughs> at this point. I want this so much. I'm like, is the rom-com truly back? Are the good rom-coms back? I think the rom-com's back, but are the good rom-coms back? I mean, back? Fire Island was great. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it's one of the, Fire Island was one of the better rom-coms that came out in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, this one seems a lot kookier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Fire Island was like pretty grounded. You know, the, there's like a, I think Andrew always brings like a, like a, gravitas to his work and mm-hmm. um you know it's kind of like pride of, pride of prejudice is just classy generally mm-hmm. uh this one sounds like a hot fucking mess and i love <laughs> yes. a wedding rom-com i love 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 a wedding rom-com <laughs> i will watch every shitty wedding rom-com as evidenced by watching anyone but you and <laughs> i know <laughs> it was not good um so sad and i I cannot wait for this one. And I cannot wait to hear more about casting. Yeah. Notes. I mean, it's being produced by Lulu yes. Wong's production company. Um, or currently behind the um the Amazon series Expats. Um, looks like we have a pretty good team behind the camera too, and also in, in the in the business room. So hopefully that that's a signal for good things to come. Who would you cast as his boyfriend? Oh my god, who has good comedy like they'd have to have really good physical comedy chops yeah yeah i don't know i have to think about that one too because who i would would want to see like in a wedding sort of setting it also hmm, shows up i i you know what i think io should play the friend that's getting married oh my god that would be so great i would love them together would that be great yes um (laughs) or or even i know him and 
Stephanie Shu are like friends. Mm. I like Bowen. At least Bowen and Stephanie Shu are friends, sure. and she's very funny, as we saw from uh, Joyride. Yeah. So, oh, like, I would. She would be a great. Like, there's there's just so much. Like, I see so much just room and potential for like a great cast of mm-hmm. characters and friends and family and wedding shenanigans, right? Yeah. But knowing him, he is gonna cast. I think an openly queer actor. Yes. As he should. Uh, as he should. Um, I think he's pretty good about like bringing out like diverse actors in the mm-hmm. role. So like, you know, I'm like, and, and I like, even with fire Island, I feel like, you know, like the, the friends like were like Mateo and everyone were like really fun. Like they're, I call them Twitter famous. Like if you're like chronically <laughs> online on Twitter, you recognize them, but yeah. you know, like the normal general population may not. So like, I think he has a good pool to draw from and yeah, I'm interesting to see who they would cast as the, who would they put as the director? Yeah. Yep. Wouldn't be against seeing Andrew again. Oh yeah. Just, just be like a, uh, you know, they can be their own little Yorgos and like Emma Stone. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, Nanachka Khan and Randall Park. Oh yeah. There we go. <laughs> and then, and hopefully we get some, Oh my God, wouldn't it be great if we just got some like fun, like, rom-com wedding cameos like bd wong should make some kind of cameo <laughs> he should just come back be the wedding planner yeah Kevin. Every, all the wedding planning venue type like people. tropes yes yeah. they should just be like the like like the standards they should the, like the florist blow 95 percent of their budget and just get julia roberts to say like one line <laughs> or like just walk through a scene i'm a great uh, producer guys like there's just it, so much richness. It would work, it and would also work. just trust Joke and Booster to be able to pull off. Like because we see a lot like rom coms. Let's face it, they're they aren't complicated stories, right? They're kind of the same story with different like dressings, but the dressing is what's important and how like how much mm-hmm. you develop that. And I have faith in Joel's ability to 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 put in that work. So it's because at his core, I think he's like a bitter <laughs> bitch. Mm-hmm. And so he he like and bitterness sometimes just drives you to greatness. I I speak from experience. I mean, you can tell because he adapted Austin. Like <laughs> seriously, you kind of have to be kind of have to be bitter and yet also like uh a romantic. bitter but like a little romantic yeah, at heart. But you me. don't want anyone yeah. to know. <laughs> that's yeah. like me. Yeah, a hundred percent. Love it. Yes. All right, um, Han. What's your next story? All right. I'm going to talk about a K-drama, so people, I don't know if you're going to know what this is, but I think it is worth mentioning. Um, so the there is a new K-drama that uh, Hulu is going to be creating, producing, um, and it is from the writer Kang Fool. He is the one who actually wrote Moving, which was, uh, I have mentioned this as one of my um, What's Poppin' a few weeks back, um, which is a K-drama about um, parents of high school students uh, who have powers, but they have to hide those powers. Um, So it is um, because there's also spies and there's government people who want to get rid of these powered people, you know, mutants and stuff. So um, that actually was Hulu's number one K-drama, not just on Hulu, but around the world. So it's basically like their Squid Game, um, if you want to look at it that way. So Light Shop is the new K-drama that is a mystery drama that explores life, death, and what makes us human. Um, it is based on Kong's uh, webtoon that is was wildly popular um, of the same name. 
tells the story of a group of strangers, each struggling to come to terms with a traumatic event in their past. Going about their daily lives, each individual is mysteriously drawn to a light shop that sits at the end of a seedy alleyway. Guarded by a vigilant shopkeeper, the light shop could hold the key to strangers' past, present, and future. Um, starring in it, there's a whole bunch of names, but I can name a few. <laughs> um, Park Bo Young, she is the star of, let's say, Strong Woman Buck Soon, uh, Do Met Your Service, Do Met Your Service, and the most recent one, which is Daily Dose of Sunshine, uh, Ju Ji Hoon, who was in Kingdom and a bunch of other stuff. And the the guy who played the um, teacher in Moving, Kim Hee Won, he was like the nice guy teacher who was helping the students. He's actually going to direct it. Uh, this series. So um, this will be the new entry for Dis- uh, Disney Plus slash Hulu um, in their K-drama arsenal. Do we want this? Yeah, bring bring the beautiful Korean <laughs> stories and dramas to the people. I'm really happy for you, Han. <laughs> um, I'm also happy because the lead guy is in his 40s and I'm like, I've been trying to get more age-appropriate crushes. Age-appropriate crushes, yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you're like, oh, is it right to thirst over like a 21-year-old? Like, I don't think so, yeah, It's getting to the point where I'm just like, he is my son and I feel weird about it. Like, so I'm just like, I just like him as my son's friend, you know? It's like, just, I can't think of him as actually viable people. Like, they yes, are, yes. They are very cute and that's it so yeah um anyway um i don't know i mean i feel like i want this in terms of i i I like to see more players in the streaming space in like the Mm -hmm. acquisition of Mm k-dramas because that means that you know netflix will have to compete with other people to like get the good shows which will hopefully allow them to make more competitive deals for the creators um, I mean, that this is all like mm-hmm. pie in the sky. I'm sure they're all colluding with each other. But um, I feel like ultimately um, it's kind of cool to see K-dramas make their way into other mainstream streamers. I think I think that's, you know, I think I, I see this as a good sign, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, no monopolies. <laughs> you know, actually s- s- share the wealth, all yeah. that good stuff. Um, and, and I think moving was great. I think... If if Netflix is going to try to own the whole romantic drama space for K-dramas, then I like the fact that this, um, at least with moving, that was like a family and action and spy drama. Um, so maybe they're going to try to carve out slightly different, you know, lanes. Um, definitely, I think Amazon Prime has like Death's Game, which was recent. And so as the title might suggest, maybe not mm-hmm. as romantic. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I need to catch up on my Hulu ones. Yeah. All right, so our last story, and I don't know how relevant this is going to be for any of us because I feel like we're all a little old for this. Speak okay, for yourself. I'm girding my loins. I'm girding my loins. Um, did you guys know there's a Minecraft movie going on? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm I not surprised. Did. I did, and I have zero knowledge about what Minecraft is except that it's like involves cubes. All right. Um, Does it help you program? So I don't know. <laughs> if I don't know how this will work as do we want this story, but it's the only thing I can see here that's worth discussing, maybe. I mean, I I think I mean everything has a right has the the up point has the potential to be great, right? Because you know, I had this about the first pirates movie, and I said this about the Lego movie. <laughs> right, and I'm right. just like, 
you know what? I was proven wrong. But yeah. um, I again, I have zero context of Minecraft other yeah. than Yeah. All right. So let's just like let's just take this at, at face value of where we are right now. So mm-hmm. the story is it's casting news for the rank Minecraft movie. Um, Kate McKinnon and Jermaine Clement join Jason Momoa's Minecraft gang at Warner Brothers. Um, also recently, um, Jennifer Coolidge was added to this cast as well. Um, in addition to Jack Black. Um, do we want okay, this? Okay, that sounds amazing. Let's be real. Yeah, because you don't cast those four little freaks in one movie <laughs> and don't let their freak flag fly. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with, like, Jennifer Coolidge. Like, just, like, she brings Jennifer Coolidge wherever she goes. And uh, Jack Black is always great. And that's part of the Mario movie. Or, yeah. Uh, you know, an otherwise uninspired Mario movie. Like, Jermaine Clement, like, if you're familiar with like Flight of the Concords and he's a co-creator of What We Do in the um, Shadows. What we do in the shadows, right? I'm just mm-hmm. like, these are these yeah. are little freaks. Yeah. So what are they gonna do for the Minecraft and like, movie? You know, however you think of Jason Momoa, he is probably one of the more prominent native Hawaiian like Pacifica actors in the biz right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jermaine Clement is uh yeah. Maori. So, you know, he's he's spreading the wealth. <laughs> Um, I'm interested. Like, I also have no connection to the Minecraft series. It's no like a dragon, so you know I don't have decades of, of you know, of built up you know, relationships yeah. with um this game about building stuff and I guess zombies or something. I don't know. I've seen people play it, and yeah. I know the kids like it. Um, I I'm hoping that this will be like one of those like the Lego Movie where. The Minecraft is the backdrop to an actually like interesting story about, I don't know, family gaming or adulthood or something. Yeah, like I, be- I felt okay. like I, you know, with Pokemon Concierge, I don't actually know Pokemon that well. I know a few characters. And so I was very happy to see Psyduck. I think with the, um, uh, which is it, Sonic the Hedgehog movies. I mean, I've played it a few times, but I'm not a diehard. But those movies were delightful, so I'm kind of oh, so good. Yeah, I'm so so I'm kind of hoping it this follows kind of suit where it's basically a passing understanding of it means that you and hopefully the movie is fun. Um, this yeah, this cast looks amazing. Yeah. So I it hope looks it's amazing. just Mooney. So so the uh, the director Jared Hess is known mm, for mm-hmm. movies like Napoleon Dynamite, yeah, and Nacho Libre. So like weird ass movies, right? Like weird movies, we like mm-hmm. quirky movies. Mm-hmm. And then they're shooting in New Zealand, which <laughs> makes me think cuz I do know like part of the building in Minecraft is like you build landscapes, which to me is fucking hilarious that they're going to go to like a place that is known for its beauty and like film landscape a la Lord of the Rings to make a Minecraft movie. So all of this sounds really funny to me mm-hmm. and like promising. Um, so I'm not going to yuck it. It also has like people like Danielle Brooks and, you know, has, you know, I I see the potential and I want it to be good. <laughs> well, I guess that means it's an official. Yes, we want this for now. Don't let us down. Minecraft, yeah. the movie. Tentative. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the producers of like Dune. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with that. It's fine. I do, I'm, I'm fine I do with that. love it's movies. Like... 
again, much like uh, my current jam, like a dragon, I love things that take things that aren't serious yeah, and take super things seriously. that like, kind of mix mm-hmm. the super yeah. serious with kind of the super absurd. And I feel like right. that's always a recipe for for greatness in my book. <laughs> my question is: This a live action movie? I haven't seen anything oh. about that. <laughs> no yeah. one said anything, right? Yeah. Or like a mix? I mean, you don't film like, in New Zealand if right? you're not planning like if it's to be just like yeah in person. Yeah. If you're not planning yes. to use New Zealand, right? Okay, the fact that it's a live action Minecraft movie now makes it even more ridiculous and even better. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> Again, no, nothing about Minecraft. Wouldn't it be great if they like made this some kind of treatise on like urban planning <laughs> or like or like architecture and how that like affects you know that would that would be the like trifecta for me. But that'd be great. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah I guess we'll, we'll we'll know more once we see that first trailer. But um, yeah, who knew? We'd be into the the Minecraft movie on Good Pop. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Learn something every day. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, on that note, that'll also do it for this edition of Do We Want This um, for January 2024. Um, just thanks once again for uh, for joining me to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news. Um, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am everywhere at Anonymous. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Marvin Yue. You can find our show on the web at goodpop.club. Uh, we are a proud member of the Pop Look Podcast Collective, a uh, collective Asian American podcast. Um, you can check them out by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, one month down. Um, Forever to go. <laughs> oh, God. Happy election year. A oh. Happy soon to be year of the dragon. Oh, yeah. That's coming up next week, too. <laughs> yep. We should celebrate. I, I, you know what? I got red underwear. <laughs> no, I decided. That's, all, that's 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 half the battle. To be fair, <laughs> right, right. I didn't do it for my year, but I'm just like I think this is the year I'm going to embrace all superstitions and maybe of all religions. And, yeah, just to and be all safe. spiritualities. I'm so not into zodiac, but I'm going to try to follow all the things. This I mean, year. those dragons have a lot of luck to share, so might as well might as well leech off. Sure. Of that, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Give it to me. All right. Well. See y'all next time on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.